Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. We pray that as we dive into your word, you would find us to be the kind of people that are ready to listen, ready to take to heart what you have to say. We pray in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amen. Have you kept track of the number of times I have said when I was in the military? You got like a running total of that? We're going to add one to that today. I was stationed in Germany, and while I was there, there was a a ministry uh, run by an outfit called Cadence International. And they ran ran these uh, uh, dwellings, really, that they called hospitality houses. And what they did was they assigned a missionary couple, usually, to one of these hospitality houses. And the point of their ministry was... Uh, they would land the house or put the house uh, near uh, an adjacent to a military installation of some kind. And the point of their ministry was to reach out to the military folks there to provide them a house, a home setting where they could kind of relax and feel at home and enjoy a home-cooked meal or whatever. Of course, they always offered uh, Bible studies and opportunities for Christian conferences and that kind of thing. And so I ran into a couple at the particular hospitality house in Germany uh, their, name was, their names were Dick and Marietta Reynolds, uh, super people. And so I was at their house for a Bible study one evening, and there was a family there with a young boy. I think he was probably three or four. I don't remember exactly how old he was. He was in that kind of diminutive kind of category. And uh, we were on our way out the door. This family was right in front of me. And it was suddenly and instantly clear that a mishap of the odiferous kind had taken place in this young man's pants. I mean, it was instantly overwhelming. My response of compassion was, oh, gross. (laughs) Marietta's response was, that poor thing. And she took the boy and she took his mom off to the bathroom and, you know, got him all cleaned up and stuff. And I thought... If ever there was a personification of what the Bible talks about when it talks about hospitality, that was it. Not my, oh, gross, but Marietta's, oh, you poor thing, and taking that young man aside and his mom to help him get uh, straightened out. Many, many folks' lives were impacted by that particular couple's sense of welcome and graciousness, which was rooted and grounded in this thing we call the Christian faith. Well, I want to have us take a little dive this morning into a a pericope, a section from the Gospel of Luke, to see what that looks like, so that maybe you and I can grab a hold of this notion of biblical hospitality. Because here's the thing, any place that aspires to be the kind of place that can reach out in the name of Jesus has to have at its core a genuinely welcoming spirit. So up on the screens today is going to be a section from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. If you're at home, of course, you can open up your own Bible and read it. If you're at home watching on the screen right next to the picture of me, uh, you'll want to direct your attention to the Bible um, translation options that are there so that you can read along. You can follow along on your apps on your phone or iPads or other tablets. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, starting in verse 36. It's a lengthy passage, so I want to encourage you to hang in there. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, 
So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. By the way, parenthetical note, really, really expensive perfume in that day and time. Verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. Remember, the guy had been talking to himself. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. By the way, another parenthetical note, a denarius was about a day's wages. So one person owes a year and a half's worth of wages and one person owes 50 days' wages. Neither of them, verse 42, had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Now there's a lot of stuff in this passage and we could spend all afternoon diving into each and every aspect of this passage. I know you would love to beg me to do that so we could be here all afternoon, but I'm gonna cut it a little short because Pastor Laura and I are going to want to have lunch eventually. Steve. But one of the things that we can pull out of this passage, just one of the things we can pull out of this passage is how to be agents of hospitality. What does that really look like? Now, kind of in the middle of the story, but setting the stage, the first thing that has to happen is that we have to be people who recognize God's grace at work in our lives. When this woman anoints Jesus' feet with her tears and washes them and wipes them feet with her, with her hair, she is responding to the grace that she sees in Jesus that has been poured out into her life. We can never get anywhere of substance ministering to other people if we have not first grabbed a hold of this truth that God loves us and has poured grace into our lives. That's where it starts. If it doesn't start there, it always kind of feels like a chore. I don't care what the ministry is. It kind of feels like a chore. It feels like we're running a checklist. But if we start here with this response to the powerful grace of Jesus, then we are empowered to do the kinds of things that God has called us to do. Jesus knows, she knew, she had lived a sinful life in verse 37. I think I recommended to you before Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace? I'm recommending it to you again. 
But uh, during a conference on comparative religions, C.S. Lewis walked into a protracted debate on belief that what belief was unique to the Christian faith. And all those people who were experts in religion had been gathered around and they gradually eliminated all kinds of possibilities. And Lewis now, he was just going by. This was in a conference room at the University of Oxford in England where he taught. Uh, he walked by and he, he asked them, what's all the commotion about? What are you all excited about? And so Lewis hears this topic, what makes the Christian faith unique? And he says, it's easy. It's grace. And I don't care what the religious system is, and I'm not denigrating people who embrace religious systems of another kind, but trust me when I say they are all based on human performance. Christianity, this faith that you and I have, is not based on human performance. It doesn't matter what your report card looks like or your resume looks like, what your GPA has been or will be, or what your bank account might look like and reflect. None of that is the basis for our understanding of how God is at work and how we're supposed to be at work. The basis of it is this thing, grace. Now, I know that I pick on Steve from time to time. How many of you object to me picking on Steve? That's what I thought. All right. So, back when Steve was a young pup, and he told me about this, and I subsequently researched it in history books, he, they, apparently back in the day, they had these things called comic books. Now they're called graphic novels, Steve, by the way, in case you want to catch up. Uh, they, they were called comic books, and they had these little advertisements in them for various things. And one of the things they would often advertise were things that were purported to be X-ray glasses. Steve was very excited when he told me about this. I don't know why in particular he was excited, but he was. X-ray glasses. Now think about it. The capacity to look past what's presented to see what's going on behind the scenes. That's pretty powerful. In the superhero uh, gangs that we have out there, of course, Superman had this thing, right? X-ray vision. You could see what was going on inside. And I've thought about this from time to time. I've thought... There's probably some things we don't want to see that are going on behind what's presented. But nonetheless, x-ray vision, which of course in those comic book uh, advertisements were fake, Steve. And of course Superman is a, is a fictional character. It, it, it's not real. I'm sorry if I'm bursting your superhero bubble here today, but it's not real. But the thing is... As Jesus evidenced in this passage, God really does know what's going on inside our lives. He really does have this capacity to see into us. And this woman knew the magnitude of what she had done. And she knew that Jesus knew the magnitude of what she had done. But she recognizes the graciousness that comes from a relationship with Jesus. And she responds lavishly. That perfume, as I mentioned before, this was pricey stuff. She was deeply engaged at the kind of the core of her emotional being. Her tears are evidence of that. So here's the thing. The key to responding to other people in grace is recognition of God's grace at work in us. Now here's the thing. Most of us don't think we've really lived a sinful life. We're not bad. Oh, sure, we've done a couple of bad things along the way, but it's no big deal. 
And the reason we can convince ourselves and maybe other people that it's no big deal is because from the exterior, from the exterior, we can look like we're fairly intact. And when we offer up our resumes, of course, we only highlight the good stuff that we've done and the good experiences that we've had. We don't ever put in there those times that we went astray, do we? Just a hint, if you're job hunting and you do that, you're not going to get the job. Just thought I'd mention that. But see, we've kind of convinced ourselves because we're always looking at the exterior. One time I can remember looking at a used car with my stepson, and we were kind of cruising around looking at them. And and here's the thing about used cars that I noticed along the way, that most of them are fixed up to look really well on the outside. It's when you have to dive inside and get behind the scenes, you kind of have to see what's going on. Of course, nowadays we have services like Carvana and Carfax because they can take the car's vehicle identification number and they can chase down every time it's been involved in something. But back in that day, all you had, to, all you had was the kind of the exterior look. Well, for cars we have Carfax, but God has Ufax. He knows exactly what's going on in us. And rather than putting us off, that should make us run to him. The safest place on the planet is in the arms of a gracious God who knows all about us and yet loves us still. Loves us enough to have sent his son to die for us. Not because our resumes are perfect, but because our resumes are imperfect. Grace. Well, hospitality also requires kind of a wide-reaching invitation. So lately, when we've been doing the community meal outside, uh, we've had a couple of folks stand with signs. You know, God loves you. We do too. Free meal. It's just trying to extend this invitation as wide as we could. Now, here in this passage, Jesus was not invited as an expression of hospitality. Jesus was invited as an object of curiosity. The other people at the dinner, besides the lady that comes in with the perfume, the other people, that's the in crowd. That's not who Jesus invites. Jesus doesn't invite the in crowd because they think they've got their act together anyway. Jesus says, in fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 9, he says, go into the street corners and invite to the banquet anybody you can find. I was in London, England one time, outside Buckingham Palace. And there was this huge crowd of people just hoping to catch a glimpse of the changing of the guard or something, you know. We thought the queen might come out and shake our hand. (laughs) Unlikely. But while I was standing there, this uh, limousine comes up the road, and I recognized it immediately. It was a huge Lincoln Continental with the American flag on one fender and the seal of the President of the United States on the other fender. Ronald Reagan was going to see Queen Elizabeth. And of course, they opened the gates right up, and they brought him right in, and I'm sure they had some kind of fun hootenanny inside after Ronald Reagan got in there for dinner. But what Jesus is saying here was, the way he extends the invitation would be like the Queen of England coming out of the gates of Buckingham Palace 
ignoring Ronald Reagan and saying to the riffraff that were gathered outside, hey, you all, come on in. We're going to have lunch. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference in the, in the power of grace at work? Because grace reaches to us even when we think we are unreachable. Grace requires, excuse me, hospitality requires a genuine welcome. Jesus does not get a genuine welcome in this passage. He unpacks that in verses 44 to 46. Because here's some things about that day and time that that we need to know, know to get a hold of this thing. There was a very basic element of greeting, and that was people walked around in the dusty streets in sandals. And so if you got invited to somebody's home, they usually had a basin of water there. And often, if it was a wealthy person, they had a servant who was there. You'd come in, you'd take off your sandals, they would wash your feet. If it wasn't a wealthy person that had a servant, there would at least be the basin of water so you could wash your own feet after having been on the dusty roads. They don't do that for Jesus when he comes in. In that day and time, and some cultures today still, it's very common for men to greet each other by kissing their cheeks. You've seen that, right, in films and whatnot, kissing each cheek. That's kind of a standard welcome. Don't do that with me after the service today. But they hadn't greeted Jesus that way. They kind of tolerated his presence. And they hadn't anointed his head with oil. Now you're going, well, what in the world is that? Why would you put Crisco on somebody's head? But in that day and time, it was this kind of ceremonial, fragrant oil that they would anoint somebody's head with. It was a sign of respect and welcome. They hadn't done that with Jesus. When I was in Holliston, Massachusetts, as pastor of the First Baptist Church there, I got invited to be on the program and part of the first of one of the high school, uh, uh, Holliston High School baccalaureate services. So I got in there and I sat down with the other people on the platform. And I opened the program. And it said, First Baptist Church, Pastor Scott Foster. Well, that wasn't me. And then later on, as we're sitting there on the dais waiting for the thing to get started, this guy comes over to me. He was the pastor of the, of the UCC church in town. He shakes my hand, back in the days when we shook hands. He shakes my hand and he says, I don't think we've met. Well, I had had breakfast with the guy two weeks ago. And then this other guy who was pastor of the Lutheran church, he walks up to me, he shakes my hand and he says, You're Fred, right? And then just before the service starts, the the priest who was uh, the pastor of that Catholic church where the baccalaureate was uh, was being held, he walks up to me and he says, after seeing the program, you know, the goof up in the program, he looks me in the eye and he says, Ben, I'm really sorry about the mix up in the program. You know, you can tell when somebody is genuinely interested in you and glad that you've shown up. On that day, I did not feel exactly welcome. Which is just a microcosm of the kind of lack of respect in the greeting that this guy Simon had given to Jesus when Jesus showed up. But if we give people genuine respect, if we give them a kind of a genuine embrace... Uh, a a, a true expression of hospitality, then the results 
our invitation, our hospitality, can be used by God to bring people to Jesus. What's remarkable to me about this encounter is one of the things is that what happens to this woman, even though she is not the object of hospitality, she's not the object of hospitality. In fact, can you see the looks on the faces of those guys at the party when she walks in to go see Jesus? Can you see the looks on their faces? I can see them. But despite that disdain in which she had been held, her faith is resilient enough to withstand that hostility. But when people encounter us, they shouldn't have to armor up so they can withstand hostility. They should be embraced by our sense of hospitality. Now, in these days of the COVID pandemic, and yes, it's still cooking, and I'm sorry about that, but in these days of the COVID pandemic, hospitality might look a little different. We've pivoted to do something different with our community meal and essentials pantry. Maybe we need to to, to bring lunches to go, and we've talked before about um, uh, delivering bags of stuff to folks in our neighborhoods, and we're going to talk more about that over the next month or so. But, But even though it has to look different and it's more complicated, it doesn't mean we have a get out of jail free card and we shouldn't be doing it. In the book of Romans, chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. In this passage, Jesus says, Whatever you've done for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And in verse 50, here are the words the woman has been longing to hear the entirety of her life. Jesus says to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wouldn't it be great if you and I, and you and I together in this body of Christ, wouldn't it be great if we could be that kind of instrument of bringing people to Jesus so that they could hear him say those words? There's enough griping and moaning and complaining and conflict and disarray and and, and disharmony in the world. We don't need to add to any of that. I've got some friends who are on Facebook friends, they're Facebook friends of mine, but I have turned off their newsfeed because they're diving into stupidness at an extraordinary rate. And it makes me mad enough to want to respond in kind, but I've turned their newsfeed off so that I don't. Zambia in Africa, I was at a, uh, a church out in the bush on one of my mission trips there years ago. And I may have shared this story with you before, but too bad for you. Um, this friend of mine and I, were, we drove out to the church in his 4 by 4 and it was, I'm telling you, it was way out in the bush. And this church, like, had half a roof. This was, this was bare bones. The next time you want to complain about something having to do with the condition of the church, remember the church that has half a roof and has logs for the seats. That's what this church was. So we're pulling into the, the, the clearing where the church was. We're pulling in, and there's this flock of chickens. Do you call chickens flocks? What do you call chickens? Herds? What, do you, what are they? Flock, is that right? Yeah, whatever. It's a bunch of chickens. And they were really, really skinny, scrawny-looking chickens, except for a couple, three of them, and one was a really kind of robust-looking chicken. And they, when we drove in, the chickens scattered. And we went through our time of teaching. Um, we got there about 9 in the morning. We went till about 1 o'clock. Yes, four hours. 
We went to about one o'clock and then they said we were going to break for lunch. And the folks that had invited us there, subsistence level poverty people, were going to treat us to lunch. And we had, there's this, uh, there's this kind of grain um, staple in their diet called enchima. It's like a, a wheat-based uh, grain kind of thing. That they, it's like their staple that they had there. And then we had the enchima and a little sauce, which was made of stuff I don't really know about. And then they had chicken, roast chicken. I thought, wow. And it was really good. Really good. And so we consumed the meal, and I, I said to my buddy um, that I traveled with, I said, well, where did they get this food from? This is amazing. I mean, really, we're out in the middle of nowhere. And he said, I have no idea. So he asked the leader of the church, he said, well, thanks so much for the meal, we really appreciate it, but where'd you get it? And he looked us in the eye and he said, we have been saving our best chicken for you, and we killed it for you. You know, I still get goosebumps when I think about the level of care and compassion and graciousness expressed by people who don't have two anything to rub together. So, here's the question for us. Are we ready to kill the best chicken? for people who need to see and feel and hear and taste the grace of God in their lives? The question for the day, how can I kill the best chicken? Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for this word from your word. We ask that you would find us to be not just reluctant, but enthusiastic agents of grace and hospitality. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.